0: JD Power ranks Sleep Number number 1 in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
2: You are listening to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward on Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward, part of the Myst Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. I'm Spanners, the host and producer of Myst Apex Podcast, and those of you who follow my Twitter feed will be pleased to know that my hair is back to its studio best, and that we are still an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed. With the kind permission of our better halves, we aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. And because it's a Sunday, even though it's Inside F1 with Joe, it does mean that Matt is also here. Woohoo! Hello, Matt. Hey there, Spanners.
3: Glad to be here. Although I know the only reason I'm here is to be the Kamui Kobayashi in case
2: you crap out halfway through the podcast. No, don't give away my potential weaknesses and hay fever. The voice is fine and anything you hear is lies to the contrary. Unless I stop talking halfway through the show and then it's absolutely true. And please enjoy Matt talking to Joe. Uh, but it is Inside F1 and the only bit of admin I've got for you guys is to come and seek us out on Friday on Missed Apex Motorsport on YouTube where we'll be going live on the 2008 Legacy Silverstone track. Because we believe that's a better layout, and it's nothing to do with the fact that it's free on iRacing. But do come and join us on there, and uh, there are still a few spots left, I think. There's a waiting list, um, but people get emailed on that list all the time, and people drop in and out. So please do email me spannersready at gmail.com, or just watch us at 8pm on Friday. But will we be going to the real Silverstone anytime soon to answer that? is everyone's favourite F1 uncle, a man who's been to every Grand Prix since 1978. It's Joe Sayward. How's it going, Joe? Uh,
4: 1988, but close. Whatever. 78, I'd be very old, wouldn't I? Oh, right. Of um, course. Everything's good. Yep. I'm uh, I'm much the same as before. I've got green fingers. I'm on gardening leave. And uh, yes, if anyone goes to Silver, we'll go there. Although I'm not sure we will. It depends really on what the F1 group negotiates with the British government or whoever about um, who's allowed in and that sort of stuff. Because they've got this 14-day quarantine thing, which Boris almost announced last week. Um, He wasn't quite sure if he was going to announce it or not. So he sort of did half of it. Um, And then he said the French are allowed in. Then he cancelled that as well. So I'm a bit confused as to what's going on. But I think he is too. So what the hell? You know, we'll find it out in the end. So is the only thing that's holding that
2: back now the... the 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 government and the things to do with quarantine and lockdown as far as the FIA and Silverstone are done I mean to have two races at the same track I mean that's a pretty big deal that can't have been completely smooth sailing
4: well it's going to come a week after two races in Austria so uh, it won't be exactly unique by the time it actually happens Uh, it's just easy because um, most of the teams are based in England you can have two races and you get uh, with Austria having two you get four races out of the way quickly. They need fifteen races this year. That's the magic number. And so obviously they want to cram them in. So um it wouldn't surprise me, you know, if they could organize it. If they had if they had four races at Sorston awesome, to be quite honest. But you know, that's pushing it a little bit. Um but it does rather depend on the numbers of the virus. And we can't really and that's why if you notice there are endless stories about the Formula One calendar that's about to be announced and so far we haven't had any calendar announced at all. Um that's because they don't know. And they are a Nasdaq listed company. And if they if they announce something, it really has to be kind of true, otherwise people accuse them of manipulating the share price. So they won't they, they really won't say anything until they absolutely know. And they probably won't absolutely know. Um, For a while, yeah, because you know who's to know what the COVID virus uh, pandemic rates are going to do in the next few weeks.
2: So we've 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 kind of you know COVID aside, and I've always said to the kids, and I've said to people on here, you know, you can't look too far ahead when it comes to government announcements because we just don't know the nature of the situation. We could all uh, be let out of our houses and back to work tomorrow, only to go back into lockdown three or four weeks later. Uh, An interesting statistic was. The, of the, the 14 respiratory pandemics we've had uh, in the past 100 years or so, there's always been a second wave and we've never been able to prevent one. So future planning for this pandemic aside, what's the potential calendar uh, we're, we're looking at? You know, I've heard a lot about Austria. I've heard a lot about Silverstone. And in the chat room, uh, Ivan is saying he saw some writing about the, Gel- uh, the Belgian government uh, agreed to have a Grand Prix on the 30th of August. So it does look like there's a, a calendar yeah, it, shaping it up. It wasn't
4: the Belgian government. It was the, it was the regional government of Wallonia who are paying for the race, um, which is odd because they need the money really to justify their paying for the race. They need tourism, and there won't be any tourism. So uh, it's kind of a weird one, that. And um, I don't really understand it, to be honest. I don't really understand the Monza thing, but that's popped up as well. Uh, Hungary, I do understand. As far as I understand it, um, we should have two races in Austria, two in Silverson, one or two in Hungary, and then we go to Baku. Um, Baku is interesting in as much as it costs a lot of money to build the circuit, although there aren't lots of grandstands. Um, so they need to be sure it's going to happen before they uh, commit. And then we have you know, a bunch of Asian races that may or may not happen. So, um, it, it's really difficult and I fully understand why. Uh, you can't really make a calendar because you've also got contracts in existence. You can't just cancel every contract. You've got to have a reason to do it. Um, so, for example, you'll see Brazil on lots of the listings as, as likely to happen. Um, nobody wants to go. Well, we want we to go to Brazil because it's a great circuit, but nobody actually wants to go and work with a local promoter. It's just done. It's finished. Um, they're They're playing out a contract and they don't want to be doing it. So will that actually happen? But well, if the contract says it happens, it's supposed to. So that's the sort of situation we're in. We've got contracts that were written in times of normality that are being applied in times when it's clearly not normal. So I get curious now about places that will have more
3: issues potentially uh, with the virus. Like Brazil, for example, right now is, is having a large spike in cases. If we get into the fall and places that we anticipated going to are having virus problems, is that something they're going to be able to cancel without falling afoul of these contracts? Would Force Majeure maybe apply in these
4: instances? Yeah, that would that would be the case. Um, and I think you've got, to, you've got to take things into perspective, and that is, you know, you'll read in the papers one day that Mexico and Russia and Brazil are spiking, but then you compare the numbers they're talking about with what's happening in America or in England, um, and it's tiny in comparison. So they're spiking, but in comparison to the others, they're not. So the whole thing is really, um, it, it's really, you've got to be looked beyond what you read in the media. You've got to look at the numbers as to what's happening, um, and the numbers will dictate uh, the risk factors involved, and um, then it's down to the government. And the one thing that really could cause trouble is if Britain has this, thing that Boris mentioned about 14 day quarantine where where teams cannot go in and come out of Britain without spending 14 days locked up. If that happens, it pretty much finishes the formula one season because teams are just not going to do it. Um, cause you can't, you know, you can't fly in from Austria and spend 14 days at home and then go to another race. Uh, alternatively, you can't stay away all the time because otherwise of course, everyone will get divorced. Um, you know, so, it's a really difficult one, and I think if that happens without a deal, and they are working on a deal with the British government uh, so that Formula One people can come and go, but if they won't let the French come and go, which was the latest thing, I don't see why Formula One should be treated differently to other things. I think that's just it's a nice idea, but it's probably wishful thinking. Um, and so I think we'll just have to wait and see. Um, you know, Formula One is a is a fairly unique. Um, it's not the only thing, obviously, but it's the, it's certainly the biggest sport globally um, that goes to as many places um, in one series. You know, there's football here, there's football there. Formula One just whizzes around the world going to places. Um, and trying to organize all that in the current world is really difficult. And because every, every single place you're talking about is a moving target. So you just don't know what you're going to get Three months, five months, whatever from now. The, the interesting thing, which I noticed, noticed last week is we've done, uh, last week, it was two months since the Australian Grand Prix. And it was two months or rather eight weeks before the planned Austrian Grand Prix. So about halfway through. And if you think how long it's been since Australia or how long it feels for us, we've still got that to go. So there's still a lot of things that can happen. And there are still, you know, things like you know, the accuracy of the testing can get better. Um, there's all kinds of things that can change, but we just don't know, and they have to be cautious about it. Um, and that's why they can't really do very much apart from sort of plan and hope for the best.
2: It's it's, it's interesting when you talk about uh, planning, Joe. Hey, have you got a light by any chance there uh, by your by in your study? Uh, normally, we, normally we do this kind of thing in the evening, and uh, ah, there we go. You've come to life, Joe. Now people can. Can see you Sorry, in full technical colour. It's
4: going dark outside.
2: Well, hopefully the Formula One season does not go completely dark on us. Um, but there's two different types of track in F1 when it comes to money. You know, in in my layman's terms. So Udavir is asking about Bahrain, and somebody in there, I apologise, uh, was asking about Monza. It was Gordon Hill. Hello, Gordon. So, so Joe, I mean, there's kind there's tracks where the government subsidise it because they want F1 in there for whatever reason. And there's tracks like Monza and Silverstone perhaps that rely more on the the revenue of spectators. So are the tracks like Bahrain more likely to happen? Because really, I mean, they only get a handful of spectators anyway.
4: Well, there are two things to take into account here. One is uh, how the funding works. And the other one is what is the situation of the track? So you have somewhere like Baku, for example, which is entirely government funded, but it costs a lot of money on setup costs because it's a street track. Well, you have Singapore. Singapore relies on um, the tourism that comes in. If the tourism doesn't come, there's no reason for people to pay. Same with Canada. So they're, they're very unlikely to happen. In fact, I, th- I think Singapore's said, well, it's not going to happen uh, if there's no spectators, um, which is fully understandable. They're going to lose money. What's the point? If you have a government like Bahrain, they'll say, we want it because it's something that's valuable to us or Abu Dhabi. Um, But they also have circuits that are on their own in the middle of nowhere. You can lock them down and nobody can get in. Whereas a street circuit is a lot more complicated. Um, It costs money. It's also far more difficult to secure. So if you have a a venue like the osterite, sorry, well, the Austerite ring is a good example, Red Bull ring, you have the Hungaro ring. You have Bahrain, you have Abu Dhabi. These are places you can lock down completely. You can shut the gates, all but one gate, um, and nobody will get in. And so they're easy to control. Silverstone, in a way, is a bit the same. The money's different. But Monaco, for example, is absolutely not. So that's, I think, why Monaco canceled very early on, is because there's no way Ah. you can do this either which way. Uh, And it costs money to build it. And look at Australia. Australia lost a pile of money building a racetrack that was never used. So they didn't have to pay the race fee, as I understand it, but they had to pay an awful lot of money to build all the grandstands, pits, and everything else, and then take it all down again. So there are various different models, and it's very hard to say, um, uh, you know, which ones will happen and which ones won't happen, in addition to the ebbs and flows of the pandemic. So, you know, we, we just, honestly, we just don't know. Oh,
2: we don't like that, Joe. We like wild speculation. The type
4: Well, you can of which- have wild speculation. I mean, you know, there are countries that are less responsible than others where there will definitely be races, you know. Um, but we're all there because Formula One teams are not stupid and they won't send their staff into places they consider to be undesirable. And Formula One is, you know, Liberty Media is a big company on Wall Street. They're not going to be irresponsible. They're just not. So... Uh, that's that's what we're up against, and we're, you know, I, I fully understand it. Uh, I understand why there's some frustration about it, but I'd rather have a um, an organisation that is responsible rather than just sort of setting off and you know going to every track you can get to.
2: Brilliant, thanks, Joe. It's a really good time to have you on, given that we've uh, we've had all the driver market shuffles, and I have to say none of that was deliberate. We we booked to have you on today. And then obligingly, the F1 teams decided, did you coordinate this, Joe? Did you say, guys, going to be on Missed Apex. If you want to drop any hot driver news, now's the time.
4: Something's changed on the driver market.
2: Oh, in that case, uh, let us enlighten you, Joe. Oh, we've got so Uh, much to tell. I have a
4: vague suspicion I may have heard about it. Yes, (laughs) there are some things happen on the driver market. Um, Should we start with
2: Vettel? Because that's that's the big A
4: logical place to start is Sebastian Vettel. So, um, so can I lead okay, you off with a question? In, back, back in December. Oh,
2: there you go. That's what I wanted to know.
4: <laughs> back in December, I went to Ferrari and uh, had lunch with Benotto and Camilleri, the, the chairman, along with about a dozen, 15 others. And we talked about lots of things. And one of the things we talked about is was Sebastian Vettel's future. And and basically, they said at that time, Sebastian was key to the future of Ferrari. Okay. And he was key to their project and blah, blah, blah. So, were they, were they stringing us along, uh, talking a lot of rubbish, or was that what they believed at the time? I think it's probably what they believed at the time. But I think Vettel's season was, with the exception of Singapore, it was a fairly poor season. And I think that, you know, if you're negotiating a new contract, and let's just say, I don't know, let's pluck a number out of the sky, Sebastian was earning 50 million euros a year before. He's not worth 50 million euros in the COVID world. And in fact, nobody is anymore, perhaps apart from Lewis. Um, that, that kind of money is going to disappear. It's not going to be as easy as it was to find. So um it's not just about money anyway. It's also about, is Charles Leclerc equal status to Sebastian? Is Sebastian number one? And the answer was they couldn't even find a starting place for negotiation. They couldn't even find a place to start. They never got to money. They never got to duration of contract. They couldn't even work out where to start talking because they didn't even agree that much. In the end, they went for Carlos Sainz, and and I understand he was talking to them at some point in the winter. Now, what in the winter means, I don't know. I would like to believe it means from January onwards so that um, basically uh, they weren't telling porkies in December. And I think probably that's what happened. But they certainly began to line up Carlos Sainz as a replacement. Um, that's an interesting one. I, 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 I don't know. Sainz is is a very decent driver, but I don't see that sort of spark of, Verstappen like genius in him. Um, and I think that you know he may he may push Charles enough, but I'm not sure he's going to beat Charles very often. But that's what Ferrari want. Ferrari has mm-hmm. a tradition. Of hiring somebody to be a second driver. Now, no, no driver goes along thinking they're a second driver apart from, you know, when they realize and they get paid piles of money to, to understand they're the second driver. Um, nobody goes there with that intention. They go there with the intention. I'm going to beat that Charles Leclerc. And then one day they're going to work out that that little clause in the contract they didn't really bother about actually means something quite important, which means Charles wins. So we'll see how it all goes. Um, Would I have chosen Carlos over Daniel Ricciardo? Probably. Um, Although Daniel Ricciardo would would be much more um, of a human face for Ferrari, if you like. Although I must say Charles is quite good. I, I particularly enjoyed this week where he... He locked his girlfriend, or his girlfriend got locked out of the apartment <laughs> and she couldn't ring him because he was too busy playing computer games all the time.
2: That would not go down well in
4: my house, Joe. Uh, well, would, she had to. You, do you know what happened? She had to sign up for Twitch and send him a message because he wouldn't answer his telephone. She couldn't get in.
2: Joe, Joe, I've had this exact scenario with Matt and the lovely Amanda Weaver as well. Uh, she knows she can only contact him on Twitter or via our stream.
4: Well, there you go. That's what happened to uh, to Charles anyway. So uh, so there's a certain amount of character in there, which, you know, will be nice to have. But Daniel Ricciardo is full of character. Um, he's just not as quick as as uh, Max Verstappen, you know. Now, the interesting point in all of this is I don't see Daniel moving to McLaren as being a step upwards. I see that being as a step sideways, probably because he wasn't very comfy um, at Renault. Um Maybe you know the idea of having Esteban Ocon alongside him is something that doesn't particularly appeal to him. I don't know, but um, well, can't run. I was forever. a little bit surprised that you would go from a manufacturer team with its own engines to a secondary or third tertiary level Mercedes team.
2: Joe, can I stop you there before we get too deep into the the you Daniel that, Ricardo yeah. stuff? Because loads and loads of questions there. And hello to our Australian audience, the the third highest audience. Uh, He probably was just as quick as Verstappen, guys. It's probably just unlucky. But then actually the Dutch audience is our our fourth highest audience as well. So maybe, maybe Joe was right. Don't know which way to flip, flop on that one.
4: It's not about flipping it. It's about numbers. And on the number front, he wasn't as quick as Max Verstappen. Fair enough, Joe.
2: Can I circle back to uh, Vettel? Because you dropped some really interesting bombs there. Firstly, I will take you know a little bit of issue saying that they they wouldn't tell porcupines about Vettel being their first choice. I mean, they definitely now uh, lied about the fuel flow thing. So if they were able to lie about that, they would not mind Hang lying on,
4: hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. You've just made you've just made a slanderous statement. What? How did they lie about the fuel thing?
2: I just knew that you were going to come in and correct me. And- no, no,
4: no. I'm I'm just saying. <laughs> you, know, you have to be very careful. They they, they didn't necessarily lie. They they may not have told the whole truth, but not telling the whole truth and lying are two different things. You can't just go around <laughs> accusing people of lying. So you have to be very careful with this. Um, and, I, and I think that fundamentally Ferrari want to be loved. Everyone wants to be loved, Spanners, even you. Um, and, and the so best much. way to be loved is to be trusted. And, you know, so they want people to actually believe in them. They want people to to be nice to them. In order for that to happen, they have to be nice to people. And so I think they try very hard uh, not to be cynical and nasty and tell porcupines. The thing is, you just don't want to get caught doing it. And that's the ultimate. The key to all these things is don't get caught. And this is, you know, we asked the question, was Bernardo telling lies in December when he said that that Sebastian was a key key to the project? The answer is that he probably wasn't, because Sebastian at that point probably was key to the project. So that's all I'm saying.
2: So, so Joe, though, uh, when it comes to the number one, number two, I mean, Sebastian Vettel would have gone into those negotiations completely saying, I'm a four-time world champion. Of course, I'm still number one. Did he think he was the number one? And that's what gave Ferrari that awkward start point. Uh, What I'm kind of driving at is once Ferrari had decided that Vettel wasn't an out-and-out number one and they'd offered Charles Leclerc a five-year deal, wasn't it inevitable that they were going to part ways with Sebastian Vettel? at the end of his current contract they they had no way of offering him a, a, a way for him to stay
4: well there's no there's no proof that they've offered charles a number one contract the fact is that sebastian could accept whatever's offered him he might accept it. he might not he's not in a, he's not in a great arguing you know True. his position from a negotiating point of view he's made a string of mistakes over a period of 3 years which is which has done, done him serious damage in terms of reputation. Agreed. He's still extraordinarily quick and he's got that fire in him, which we saw in Singapore. He's not done with Formula One. A driver who's done with Formula One does not pick up his car and drive it like he did at Singapore. After being whipped around the head and beaten no, over, you know, beaten with baseball bats, Sebastian Vettel gets up and wins Singapore, beats everybody and says, Yahoo sucks. There you go. And then we go to Brazil and he crashes into his teammate. You know, so uh, the, the, the point is, he's damaged. He, he is damaged goods, but he's extremely fast damaged goods. And yep. in the right environment, he is still extremely valuable. He's probably more valuable than, than all your Spanish readers out there, whatever the percentage is. Oh, it's really low. Don't going, worry about it. It's fine. <laughs> I'm not worry. going to like <laughs> hearing it. But the fact is, I would take Vettel over Alonso any day because Alonso is a trouble causer. He destroys teams. That's just the way it is. If you look through his career, recently particularly, he's just damaged teams. And so you don't want him in your team. Now, has Sebastian Vettel damaged the Ferrari? No, he hasn't. He's crashed with his teammate a few times. And I think he's still hungry. And that's the key point. He's still hungry. And that's why I think, you know, Renault is a good place for
2: him. I really wanted to sort of try and get down to this one last thing, which is, you, you know, Vettel and Ferrari was meant to be, it, 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 the script wasn't written like this. It was meant to be, you know, Vettel's... But,
4: but no script at Ferrari's ever like that. <laughs> Fernando, <laughs> Fernando Alonso's script at Ferrari was the same thing and it failed as well.
2: So here's my question. When and where hmm. did it fail, Joe? It can't just have been Brazil. You know, did they fall out of love with him as their number one great hope over time? Was it purely linked with Charles Leclerc's uh, increasing form?
4: Yes, I think so. I think it, well, I think it's leaked, linked to the fact that Charles got better and better and he beat Sebastian enough times. Sebastian made too many mistakes under pressure. And I think that when you, when you put all of that together into a negotiating position, you can see why they couldn't reach any starting point even because Sebastian's going to think, well, I'm just pushing hard and I'm passionate and, and want to do well. And if I make a mistake, it's because I'm pushing so hard and blah, blah, blah. But Ferrari will look at it in another way. You know, you make a mistake, fine. And then well look at look at Monza last year. He made a mistake, then he pulls out, comes into the track, oh, and yeah. then he wipes himself out. I mean, he's he was just doing things that were hot headed and not usually Sebastian light. And so they've sat down and they haven't done this on a you know, sort of spur of the moment thing. They've sat down, they've analyzed everything. This is what Formula One teams do. They analyze everything to the nth degree. And they've looked at Carlos Sainz, and they see that Carlos Sainz brings his car home more often than anybody else. He may not be the quickest bloke in the world, but he gets his car home in the points more than anybody else. So, therefore, he's probably better than than Daniel Ricciardo because Daniel has a habit of, you know, not always getting it home as much. And so, they want to have, they want to have a uh, a guy who is capable of bringing the car home for points. They want a Valtteri Bottas, to be honest. Um, but they don't want Valtteri Bottas himself. Well, got, why would Valtteri Bottas go from Mercedes to Ferrari?
2: So anyway, so, so, so last question on Ferrari: Have they left themselves a little exposed in in the in the experience department? They now have zero world championships in their driver lineup, and a guy who is going to be entering his third season in F one at the at the helm. I don't think that's ideal but that's just one shed dweller's opinion.
4: Uh, yeah, one of the things that, that Binotto said is that you need some experience for the new regulations. Now, the new regulations have been pushed back. So um, you can argue that by the end of 2021, the drivers they've had will have more experience and perhaps they'll make up for it. I don't know. Um, there may be an economic element to it as well, because you can be sure that Leclerc and Sainz is a hell of a lot cheaper than Sebastian Vettel and anybody. Um, but having said that, do, do we think that that's the primary motivation? Uh, probably not, but it's got to be part of the equation. So I think that, um, I'm not surprised in a way I was surprised given what was said in December in a way I'm not surprised. Um, and then we move on from that and with, and you know, with a replacement, science isn't particularly surprising, um, if it had been me, I might have gone for Halkenberg, but it wasn't me, you know. So that's, you know, that's the, the kind of, um, for me, there were three people in, in the running at Ferrari Science, Ricardo and Halkenberg. They were the only three sort of seriously to be looked at. Giovanazzi hasn't done enough, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, there we are. That's the, they, they looked at it. They made their decision. Um, and Dan and Ricardo, Went off to McLaren, which is a weird move, but um and science went the other way. So, you know, that's all done and dusted. Now the interesting point is what we haven't got to yet is Renault. So what is going to
3: happen there? I mean, we have Vettel. His options would seem by his ego and status to be fairly limited in terms of mm. where he might go. Uh, and Renault would be the only manufacturer where he would have a chance. I
4: mean, surely he wouldn't wind up at Mercedes. No, I I, I think he can afford up to a point uh, to sit around and wait and see what Lewis does. Because remember, Lewis Hamilton doesn't have a contract yet. Everyone seems to have forgotten that. Um, Having said that, I don't see any reason why Lewis is going to change things. Lewis isn't going to suddenly decide that gardening is a lot more fun. Um, I'm sure he's enjoying his sabbatical year, as as actually a lot of us are. Um, We're enjoying time off because we never get it. And so... You know, you're doing something which is a bit unusual. And yeah, you want to go racing again. But at the same time, it's like said, if we've done this for 30 odd years. I mean, and that's true of almost everybody because these drivers have been racing since they were 12, you know, or eight or whatever. They've been on the road all the time. So, um, but no, nobody's going to stop. So the chances are that Lewis is going to stay where he is, try to beat Sebastian's, sorry, beat uh, Michael Schumacher's records. Um, and then probably by the time he's beaten Michael's records which he can do at the end of 2021 if everything goes perfectly um he can then decide whether he wants to retire and or do dull things like sign for Ferrari or whatever but you know why would you give up <laughs> why would you give up a uh, you know if you if you're, if you're running the derby why would you jump off a winning horse in the in the finishing straight doesn't make any sense
2: so I guess we're so, everyone's looking at that empty seat at Renault. I, I guess yeah. I, I'm looking at three major possibilities. Okay, four major possibilities for Sebastian Vettel. All right, so uh, an empty seat at Mercedes because one of their drivers <laughs> goes uh, Red Bull because Marco loves Sebastian. Uh, Renault because there's an empty seat there and it's a works team or retirement. What's what's your what's your you know your ear to the ground? What are the rumblings telling you, Joe?
4: Uh, the, rumble, the rumblings aren't really saying anything. I think Mercedes isn't, isn't a, an option. I think Red Bull isn't an option. I think retirement isn't an option just because of Ooh. Sebastian. Okay. Uh, so that leaves one option, which is Rena. Um, I think Zach Brown went around telling everybody that McLaren was an option, which never really was an option. Um, if you tell people that uh, they decided they didn't want Sebastian Vettel, it makes you sound good. But the fact is that why would Sebastian Vettel want a customer Mercedes team? Um, brackets, not necessarily the number one customer either. So, um, you know, I think that that is something that probably wouldn't even have entered his head. I mean, McLaren used to be a great team, but there's a lot to prove. Renault, what's the value of Renault? Why would you go to Renault? They had a pretty poor year last year. They finished fourth the year before that. Um, so, the biggest problem they had a uh, couple of years ago was the engine. The engine wasn't powerful enough. But now the engine is powerful enough. And last year their problem was that the chassis wasn't good enough. So they fixed that. They've they did change the chassis. They, well, they logically they think they have. They've changed the chassis department around. They've uh, bought in Pat Fry. What did Pat Fry do last year? He made McLaren do well. It was Pat Fry who made that happen. He's now left McLaren. So going to McLaren from Renault might not be the smartest thing that Daniel Ricciardo ever did because Pat Fry might be taking all that knowledge um, <laughs> and all that ability to the team that Daniel's just left. So On paper, it looks like McLaren did better. But in reality, Renault has its own engines, which are quite good, has a new chassis, which may be quite good. And let us not forget, and everybody forgets this, Renault is one of the world's biggest car companies. It's huge. Everybody, when you look at listings of the world's big car companies, say, look at it, it's Volkswagen, Toyota, and Hyundai. Okay, they forget that Renault and Nissan are in an alliance. And when you add the cars together, they're as big as Toyota and Volkswagen. They are a major league player. They also have the French government behind them. And the French government has just given them a €5 billion debt guarantee so that they can work their way through this crisis. Okay, but not the F1 team specifically. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I haven't finished yet. They also have a new CEO coming in on July the 1st, who is an Italian. Italians, they like the racing, yeah? <laughs> and and I think that we will see Renault double down to try and win the world championship because it's in their DNA. Renault's DNA involves motor racing. They're not going to wander off, or I'd be very surprised if they wandered off to do French touring cars or something else. I just don't see it happening. I think they're going to say, let's get this thing done. Let's stop messing about and get it done properly because Cyril and Co. haven't had the budget they need to do it properly so give them the budget to do it properly let them have the people they want and maybe only maybe they can do it now sebastian is smart enough to know most of this stuff um and so you know the idea of going to a secondary mercedes team makes no sense at all but going to the full-blown works renault team does make sense and so and the other thing is with what engine did sebastian vettel win four world championships oh
2: i know this one. Oh, uh,
4: renault well, blow me down. He already knows God. the company.
2: Yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not quiz time, though, is it? I phoned, where was that knowledge during quiz time? I was terrible. I came last. Uh, Joe, fascinating to hear you talking about, you know, perhaps a resurgent. Renault coming in with this bag of of money and this new willingness to
4: i didn't say they're going to spend it all on formula one (laughs) they are are, are saving the company from destruction in
2: the meantime i was going to say five billion might not squeeze under the cost cap if we're honest joe Uh, more on that later hopefully i was coming here with questions that were far more negative uh, about Renault, and i'm going to put them to you and uh, you can poo -poo them and rubbish them if you like Uh, i probably will the, the whispers on the wind that have squirreled and squarried like a drone into the shed have said to me that Renault would accept reasonable offers for Endstone and that pulling out was a reasonable option. And and what you've said is just the most positive wonderfulness about Renault. It seems like, you know, it's the complete opposite. Is there a case of if this tap of money doesn't come on, there is another part, like a almost schizophrenic part? of Renault that both wants to invest and get it done, but also if they can't do it, would pull the plug?
4: Well, there are, uh, first of all, the Formula One media is 75% negative. So yes. everything that is that written low. is negative. Actually, that low is, you're right, 85% negative. So if you're looking for a story, you always look for the negative story. So you know, Endstone to be sold to Marzipan or whatever, you know. Um, that was my rumour these are daft the these are the daft rumours you hear could they happen yeah maybe they could happen but renault has been in formula 1 to a, to a lesser or greater extent because there was a period when they were out for a couple of years but they were still working on the next generation of engine they they dropped out at the end of one formula and came back in in the next one and won the next one so you know they've been effectively been in formula 1 since 1977 um and the only time they really properly dropped out um although they continued to supply engines uh was when they uh, all that nasty business in singapore in 2008 that led to the team basically having to leave formula 1 because um they were caught with their trousers around their ankles and couldn't really say we didn't do it in fact they had to admit they'd done it um and that was when red bull won all the championships and Renault basically wasted that o- opportunity to be um yeah, because nobody knew that it was Renault engines, when he that Infinity written all over the car. What the hell's an infinity? The no, answer oh, is it's yeah. a Nissan. Well, the no, tackle was later, but you know. Um and of course, Red Bull then made lots of mistakes like abusing their engine supplier. Uh duh. Uh, duh, that's not a clever thing to do, is it? They obviously thought they were gonna have an engine deal from someone else and they got <laughs> screwed. But nonetheless, if you're going to abuse somebody, don't abuse your engine supply. It's not clever. And so they ended up you know, having to have tag hoyers crawling back to Renault saying, please, can we have your engines? We'll call it something else. Um, and basically, you know, Renault is is it's almost like a staple in Formula One. And if they're going to change, it's going to be a massive change and it's going to be a huge hit for Formula One. I don't see that happening. If you lose all your customers, the best way to get them back is to advertise for them. The best way to advertise is Formula One. You know, let us not forget, Ferrari does not advertise its cars. Anyone ever notice that? Ferrari doesn't have adverts in newspapers. They use Formula One to do it because Formula One does it. There is no such thing as a Ferrari advert. So Renault basically can do the same thing. Formula One is the most powerful piece of marketing, penetrative marketing that exists in this world. If you can afford it, it's fantastic. You've got to be able to afford it. Can Renault afford it? Okay, it might be tough in the years ahead, but having a big loan and having a need to sell cars to people means that, yeah, you probably can afford it. And then having a new CEO who comes from a nation mad about motor racing doesn't mean he is mad about road racing, but one of his big mates is Stefano Domenicali. So there might be a connection there somewhere. Um and I have a vague suspicion that they will just say, let's get on with the racing, get the job done. These Mercedes bugs have had it their own way for a long time. We can beat Maybe they can, maybe they can't, but just going at it and trying to. And getting Vettel on board, even if he makes mistakes, would be a good thing. Because Vettel joining, you know, having Daniel Ricciardo and Esteban Ocon are, you know, fundamentally in the overall scheme of things in the big bad world outside Formula One. Who the hell's Daniel Avocado? Or, um, you know, Esteban who? Now, everyone's heard of Sebastian Vettel. You put him in a Renault, everyone's going, oh, look, Sebastian Vettel's in a Renault. It's like Lewis Hamilton. There are certain names that are big names, and Sebastian's one of them. Alonso is another, but, you know, there are some downsides to him. But fundamentally, that's really um, a company like Renault would be willing to pay more money to have Vettel in a car. Um, And I think, you know, how many four-time world champions have there been in the history of the sport? Uh, not many not many exactly Matt
2: jump in bud
3: I I was going to jump in because you mentioned the other name that we have all seen with regards to Reno and that is Alonzo now Alonzo comes with a huge self-sponsorship there's at least plenty of rumors on the interwebs that Liberty would very much like to see it happen you mentioned downsides I I know you mentioned his inability to play nicely with others is potentially one of them but if you're Renault and maybe even cash poor, why would you pick
4: Vettel over Alonso Four world championships to two? Says okay. it all, really. <laughs> Alonso should have won five world championships <laughs> with his level of talent, but he didn't. And, and playing with Alonso is playing with fire. If it all works out, maybe it's fine. But it all might not work out, and then he'll just he'll be uh, he'll be kicking you in the teeth and destroying the team. So. I just think it's much more sensible to go with Sebastian. Um, and let's face it, if Carlos Sainz is driving a Ferrari, the Spanish-speaking audience is probably going to be taken care of anyway. So uh, tell me a
3: little bit more about Vettel. I, I know we all know at Missed Apex, we know the Vettel of Multi-21 and the Vettel of Baku and the Vettel of Brazil that you referenced. But when I, when I read about him, people who've met him personally, it seems like he's an entirely different person. What would everyone be losing if he doesn't wind up signing with Renault? Like, What kind of a person is he uh, when you deal with him and, and how do the other teams rate him when they talk about him?
4: Well, I think if, you, if Sebastian Vettel leaves Formula One, I think it's fair to say that Formula One would probably lose its most intelligent driver, although, oddly enough, Uh, there are one or two people out there who would argue in favor of Roman Grosjean, um, who is actually also very intelligent. So (laughs) what it proves is that intelligence is not necessarily akin with speed and success. But, um, I think Sebastian is a remarkable guy. He won, he won four world championships by the age of 27. He's, you know, he's now 32, but he hasn't won anything for why he hasn't won a world championship since he left Red Bull. So you're talking about a very precocious guy, uh a very charismatic guy. He he gets a lot of negative press, particularly in the English speaking media, because he's a German and that's just normal. Big band isn't it? Germans a hard time. Um and but but he is, you know, he's actually a very valuable commodity, I think. Now, he's been making lots of mistakes, he's frustrated, he doesn't like a new generation coming that is going faster than him, but he's still Uh, worth his weight in gold, I think. So we'll see. But um, I don't think we should underestimate the fact that Sebastian is not done with the sport. And also, he's too young to retire. Drivers who retire young generally uh, regret it. Some come back. uh, Nicky Lauda being a good example. Um, People like Alan Jones, they retired because they were fed up with the situation they were in. And then after a while, sitting at home, going bananas, they thought, actually, I want to come back. Michael Schumacher is perhaps another example of that. Um, but, you know, I think, in fact, if I were Michael Schumacher, I think I would have stayed at home. But, you know, he these guys don't think in the same way that we do um, because they they have to have an enormous amount of self-belief. And I think we saw Sebastian's self-belief in, in Singapore last year. You don't do what he did in Singapore last year without having some serious backbone.
2: Uh, I I have given Vettel a lot of grief for for the mistakes. And because you're right, you know, he is the the German world champion on the grid. And as a British British F1 fan, there's a certain uh, cultural pressure to boo Sebastian Vettel like we did at Silverstone in 2013. I mean, the others, all the others booed, not me, Joe. uh, But if you are Renault, you've got your spare seat. It will be coveted. And there are potentially, you know, three world champions you could stick in it. You could stick uh, Alonso. You could go and ask Rosberg. You could probably get Jensen Button back if you wanted to. But Sebastian Vettel... If you could know, get he,
4: Nigel Mantle, exactly. too. What's
2: the point? The, what I'm saying is that <laughs> Sebastian Vettel, as much grief as I give him, he was huge in it. He was the champ. He was the champ for four years, and he was thought of as, as the champ beyond that. From a commercial point of view, if Renault was serious about saying, let's, like you said, let's get this done properly, Sebastian Vettel is a bigger sign to your shareholders that you're serious than Fernando Alonso, who frankly at this point is a gimmick.
4: Um, I think that's a little bit controversial, but yes, I, <laughs> fundamentally, I agree with that. The other thing to bear in mind about Sebastian Vettel is that for all his, the downsides you might read about in the, uh, in the Sun and other such newspapers about how he's a bad sport and all the rest of it, you know, Sebastian Vettel in Canada, when, when the crowd was booing, uh, Lewis Hamilton yeah. for winning, Sebastian Vettel said he doesn't deserve that. He, you know, he won the race. Don't boo him. You no, know, okay. Sebastian wasn't happy with the decision, but Sebastian is a sportsman. He is a he is a fundamentally he's a good sport. Now, he's had some moments in the past, and let's face it, most world champions go through moments when you have to make a decision whether to be a nice guy or just do what is best for you. Um and that's you know, he's had a couple of those moments along the way, but not many. I mean, you know, he's pretty straight. And when he's racing um against uh, Lewis Hamilton, for example, they don't crash into each other a lot. You know, um, he doesn't crash into people deliberately, which has been known to happen in Baku. the past.
2: <coughs> Baku,
4: well, Baku was different because he was he was having a wobbly, okay. and uh, you know, there are people who who just lose control completely, and that was a moment where he lost control completely, which is a bad thing. In fact, I had to I had to write an article the other day for somebody um, about his biggest mistakes. And you know, five of them, and there were a lot of mistakes that Vettel made. But I thought the biggest mistake he made was was in Baku, where he where he showed that I mean not that he could avoid it, but he showed that sort of completely rash, passionate side, where he completely lost it and did something stupid, which undermined his reputation. Um, it was a and shame, Nicky at the time said, Nicky said, you know that's not like Vettel. That's not the, that's not what he's normally like. Is he's really surprised by it. But, you know, Sebastian was sort of blowing up, Um, very frustrated and uh, just having a wobbly, really. And, you know, most drivers along the way have wobblies from time to time, not all, because some of them are able to control it. But, um, you know, some of the famous red mists, you know, we used to call it red mist. And when the red mist descends, sometimes people go bonkers, you know. And that's fairly easy to understand because we all have moments when we go a bit bonkers, don't we? Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, no one talk about the eye racing or my reaction to getting taken out. That doesn't count. That doesn't count, Matt. That doesn't count at all. Right, but um, we've got. I've got some rumors. This one isn't mine, but there is a rumor going around that uh, Cyril Abitable has been sacked and that Eric Boullier is is lined up to come in instead of him. Is that is that? Would you dismiss that as nonsense? It's not mine. It's not, not one of mine.
4: Uh, I can't say I've heard that one. Um, I did hear one last year, which would be that Fred Vassar would be taking over, which is a bit like replacing, um, let me think now, what would be a good allusion to that? Um,
2: well, they seem like different types of character for sure.
4: Well, they are different types of character. I mean, you know, um, Abit Bull's clever and, um, motivated and, uh, (laughs) <laughs> um, less successful in the junior formally. But um, I have to say that I'd take Abby Bull any day.
2: Fair enough, Joe. Fair enough. And it's nice to hear a, a fan of Cyril who doesn't always warm himself, perhaps, to the fans.
4: Well, I think that Cyril is, again, he's a very smart man. And uh, I don't think he feels the need to play along to the audience in the same way that some of the team principals do. You can see it um, quite often, actually. In one or two of the others who just say the right thing and smile at the right moments, whereas Cyril just says what he thinks. Um, and sometimes that will get him into trouble. Surely no names would go along with that statement. Uh, it would be unchristian of me to say.
3: <laughs> I'm sure you meant nothing secondarily by
2: that. Uh, Matt, we had a, a question from the chat room a little while ago. I want a good, good time to swing back around to that.
3: Ah, uh, you mean uh, Christopher Fonseca's question about Mercedes? Ooh, yes, that's the one.
2: Yeah, he was curious if you could be
3: a bit more explicit why Vettel wouldn't be an option. I mean, granted, you wouldn't want to lose Hamilton over this, but surely, if your choice was Bottas or Vettel, you might be thinking Sebastian would be someone you'd like in that other car. They would pick up a few more points.
4: Why? Because Sebastian going there would know. That he wasn't the number one. Therefore he wouldn't want to go there. He'd like to go there if Lewis wasn't there, but um being taken on and being told you can race uh against Lewis Hamilton, you know, do you think Bottas has got a contract that says you can race against Lewis Hamilton? Maybe he does, but I'm sure somewhere in there there's a subclause or a subclause that says, but you will get out of the way if you ask nicely. Um so I don't, I just don't see it. And, and if you're Toto Wolf, why would you disrupt what is a very stable and successful team by adding another level of, okay, there's a German involved and Mercedes is a German company and perhaps they'd sell a couple more silver cars if they put Sebastian Vettel in the car. But the risk um, are the Sebastian Vettel fans of the world, the new generation of Ferrari, sorry. Of Mercedes buyers, <laughs> yeah. or are the Lewis Hamilton fans the the new generation of Mercedes buyers? My view is that it's probably more likely that that the Lewis Hamilton fans are more likely to buy Mercedes than the Vettel fans. Anyway, that might be It's just, a, it's just a, a thought.
3: That might be the case, but if you're Mercedes, you have Ocon, you have Russell to deal with. And you've got mm-hmm. Hamilton, who's only going to be here so much longer. Vettel is younger than Hamilton. If neither Ocon or Russell can step up
4: and be the world champion, you've also Indeed. got Perez. You've also got Perez. You, you, one shouldn't forget Perez. Perez is really good. People don't do not give Perez the credit he deserves.
2: I make up for that.
4: <laughs> well, whatever. <laughs> but Perez is is on the books. Um. And the other thing to bear in mind is that Mercedes, if they want somebody, they can just go and grab pretty much anybody because, you know, it, it just assume that a busload of of Mercedes drivers, um, you know, gets stuck in a in immigration somewhere and they need a new driver. There's not going to be a queue of people, is there? You know, there's not going to be a massive queue. There's going to be a throng. They're going to be beating the door down to get in. Um, there, there, there is no shortage of people who will drive for Mercedes if asked. Um, the question is what's best for Mercedes? And, you know, George might be the long-term answer. Esteban might be the long-term answer. Perez could be even Valtteri. Who knows? The fact is that right now it's all irrelevant because Lewis is. And um, disrupting Lewis is not smart. And I think that, you know, if there was a chance of perhaps getting their hands on Max, they might think about it whereas vettel i don't think is um at that stage in his career where they're worthy of i mean i actually i don't that's not fair. i don't see them going with max ahead of lewis um but in two years time they might you know so i just think if you'll if you're if you're toto why would you why would you wobble the table when you don't have to
2: well, speaking of Toto, Matt, uh, you you dug up some quotes from him.
3: Uh, yeah, he was interviewed in RTL. And I, I think maybe this speaks to what you're talking about. But he said regarding the drivers, for us, the question is what to do with George Russell. That's one option. Then we'll also have a Sebastian Vettel option. But this is not the first agenda because we have to focus on our own driver squad. I noticed that uh, Valtteri Bottas' name is not mentioned at all in that quote. And nor is
4: Esteban Ocon. Um, you know, these guys I think Esteban's probably still under contract in Mercedes underneath all the other contractual stuff. I'm sure there's a sort of pullback clause if they need him. Um so I, I the thing is and, and like Ferrari, you know, Ferrari got five drivers in Formula Two. They're not gonna be able to use all of them, are they? So you have to you have to make the choices based on who is showing the best form. So Um, You know, Ferrari has chosen Carlos Sainz over its young driver program um, on the basis that the young driver program is not ready. Well, I'm afraid Giovinazzi is never going to be ready because by 2023, he's 29 years old. He's ancient history. So, you know, I think that there are, um, if you're going to have a young driver program, you really need to use it. Otherwise, it's fairly pointless. That's one of the things Red Bull has done very well or very badly, depending which way you look at it. They've always had a, a load of young drivers until recently when they fired so many of them, they didn't have any left. But um they've always picked up drivers, given them a chance to show what they're worth, and a couple of them have delivered. So um, you know, it's a cheaper way of doing things. And if you're talking about tens of millions, which is what you are talking about these days, it's a hell of a lot better to have a Charles Leclerc who doesn't cost you tens of millions in the first few years, um, than it is to to buy in somebody expensive, you know, like a a Vettel or um, an Alonso. They want loads of money. So we'll see. I don't know. But the world is changing. Uh, And and this is the bit about Formula 1 we don't really know, which is the impact of the COVID virus on the economics. Go Matt.
3: Uh, yeah, the chat room, actually, Gordon Hill has an interesting question. Does Do you think that Lewis's negotiating position with Mercedes has been
4: weakened by these recent driver moves? Uh, no, no, because w- why would they do anything else? I don't think there's any question about money. They'll pay what's necessary. Lewis is probably clever enough to realize that um, you don't necessarily want to milk, milk the goat too much because uh, he can be a, you know, for ten years after he retires, he can be a Mercedes Benz ambassador, whatever, and make loads of money. He doesn't, you know. Money is not the key to his existence. Um, he's made lots of money for a lot of years, so uh, I am sure that he understands that there is a number he wants to see because it's an ego thing, you know. It's about yeah, yeah. I am being paid more. I am being paid more than others. That's what that, that's what these driver fees are actually all about. It's about look at me, I've got more than him. Perceived value. Um, but at the end of the day, why would Mercedes change and why would Lewis change? You know, if Lewis starts making mistakes like Hamilton has sorry, like Vettel has been, yeah. then you start saying, well, hang on a minute, uh, do we not need to change this fella? But he hasn't, and he doesn't, and he keeps winning. So until he starts going wrong <laughs> or slowing down, uh, why would you change it? It doesn't make any sense.
2: Joe, I know that you've had a long day on grandparent parenting duty. So I don't want to keep you too much longer. Matt and I will wrap up. We'll hang up on you abruptly in a moment and uh, we'll wrap up comment of the week and all our other admin that you surely uh, would not be interested in, Joe. Uh, However, uh, I'd like to thank you. I
4: might be fascinated. You never know.
2: You might be, but it's unlikely. Matt's not very good at comment (laughs) of the week. He picks a hundred options. It goes on for a long time. And of course, this is later than you normally join us in France. It is an hour uh, later, so we're now approaching ten o'clock, which is proper proper late, Joe. Uh, so we appreciate 23, you.
4: actually twenty three o'clock over here.
2: Is it? Is it that many? That's too many. It's Eleven it's too- o'clock. Yes. We should all just have the same time. I don't know. I don't know why we all have different times. It's silly. Well, there might be that thing called European. Anyway, let's not get into that. UTC. Um, <laughs> well, we're on UTC plus one. Um, But, Joe, thank you for joining us on a Sunday stream. It's been a lovely change of pace for a Sunday night. Your informed opinion, always appreciated, of course. So feel free uh, to yes, no these, or give us quick answers. But I I can't let you go without asking these quick questions. Some of them are silly rumour, and some of them are uh, more substantial. Uh, overall, how much say does Mercedes have on racing point seats and Williams seats? Because a strong rumour I've gotten whiff of is that Bottas has been uh, talking to has been talking to Williams, and that would be a Mercedes-driven thing to put him there, and so Williams would get help engine-wise. And then the other uh, the other Mercedes driver story that we're hearing is that actually Perez is in the way of getting their squatted drivers in, and that Perez would struggle to get a new contract at Racing Point.
4: Well, that's the reason that Perez has a long-term contract at Racing Point. Uh, how long? And uh, I don't know; it's a long one. It's three or four years. Um, uh, Signed in sort of spa last year, a very clever move at that time um, because the market was clearly going in a direction where Perez would be vulnerable, and so they nailed him in there as much as possible. Um, The second driver at Racing Point is unlikely to move on, so um, planting a Mercedes driver there is not going to happen, and then Mercedes just have to live with it. Why would you put Bottas into Williams? You might as well keep George there and trade him up um, because. Who's to say that George is better than Routery? We don't know.
2: And also, it sort Um, of seems like, why would you spend money putting Bottas there? I mean, you could probably just give the money to Williams to develop. Hang on,
4: they're already paying. George isn't there for love, you know. Wow. George is there in exchange for cash, which is, I say cash, he's in exchange for a discount on the engines. I'm absolutely sure of it. Um, I don't believe for one minute that George would be there just because George is a jolly good British chap and all that sort of rubbish. No, 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 no. There's money involved there somewhere.
2: And uh, let's just finish up. Then, uh, Matt, give uh, Joe a quick grilling about McLaren because I I skipped past your story earlier. Sorry.
4: Uh,
3: well, yeah, it, it just has to do with the fact that uh, Williams went out and they borrowed against their cars and their factory, and we all sat here and said, "Oh, that's just that that can't be the greatest thing." And really, to my surprise, McLaren has done the same thing. They didn't get their government loan. Now it looks like they're trying to get money against their buildings and their classic cars. What kind of so shape the are they? What's the
4: difference between Mercedes, uh, Williams and, and McLaren? That's what I'm, that's what I'm about to well, ask. The answer is very, very simple, which is that McLaren is a car manufacturer that builds thousands of road cars of which they are not selling. Williams does not have that. So, um, you know, saving Williams from the wall is a lot easier and cheaper In keeping McLaren out of trouble because McLaren has got all these overheads for cars that are not being built and not being sold. So, you know, they need to have money. Now they have wealthy backers and going to the government, you know, there's been a lot of sort of negative comment about how their McLaren go to the government. Well, they're employing lots of people. um, And that's what government money is all about. So if they stop employing those people, uh, those people will be out of work and the government will have to pay for them. So, you know there is some kind of logic in the fact that you ask the government to help if the government says no if mclaren then says well what a what a miserable government that is let's go somewhere else this happens all the time with car companies you know uh, aston martin opened a, uh, a factory in slovenia or somewhere like that because they were offered a better deal nissan and renault are being offered deals in spain at the moment just to keep them there uh, to keep jobs going you know it, this is stuff all the time so the british government doesn't want to be seen to be backing McLaren because McLaren has got some rich backers. Well, you think that the Fiat family isn't wealthy? You think that um, the people behind Renault aren't wealthy? Everybody's wealthy. So it is ludicrous um, for the British government. The British government is is a weird organization anyway. It's all over the place. Um, And I think that, um, well, I'm sorry, it is, but if you, if you look at this whole 14-day quarantine business with, the, with the, the French being allowed one day and not being allowed the next, I mean, what kind of a government is that? It's just chaos. And uh, so McLaren um, I mean, are going to move out of Woking, obviously, but the fact is they ain't going to be happy about what, what the British government has done to them because um, the British government is expecting them to pay for all their people to go to work. And there's a lot of people working in McLaren these days. They're an important employer and uh and a lot of people in you know, all the subcontractors all across the country so uh it's not smart to to support some and not others anyway that's another story but that's the difference between the two um and uh you know i think that williams williams is in a far worse state i mean mclaren had got a lot of debt because they, they they invested a lot in the car production side of it but they've been doing remarkably well as well up until the COVID virus, their sales were doing really well, etc. cetera. So um, we'll see how it goes is basically the bottom line. Um, but uh, I don't think it really, it's not just about Formula One, it's about car production as well.
2: Joe, thank you so much. And speaking of stories, uh, you can come and get more stories from Joe and you can ask Joe which stories to tell in our live audiences, hosted and platformed and moderated by Missed Apex Podcast. We've had three so far, Joe, all of which have been a fantastic way to spend the evening. And we have a fourth coming up on Saturday the 23rd. I think we've done a reasonable job of keeping them as close to your in-real-person audiences as is possible in this time. Uh, go to mistapexpodcast.com forward slash Joe, and you can come and join us for uh, an evening of wine and stories as we gather round the virtual tree with Joe. Blimey. <laughs> oh come on I'm trying to sell it as best as I can
4: it's a very good but virtual trees what are you on about I don't um, know it's late here too Joe sure we sing Christmas carols as well there we are <laughs> anyway it's been a pleasure as always so I will catch you all later on um, and, and hopefully more exciting things will happen in the world of Formula 1
2: fantastic have a great evening and enjoy grandparenting Joe before we get back to the F1 circus ciao ciao And while Joe drifts his way back uh, to the real world, away from the virtual shed one, uh, that does leave us with uh, me and uh, Matt Trumpets. And while I just move your beautiful face into shot so people can see it, Matt, uh, we've had a busy chat room tonight. This is almost in-season levels of participation from our live chat. Do we have time to sneak in a little comment of the week?
3: Yeah, we do, because, of course, you cut me off before my last most important question.
2: Oh, no, occurred. I know, but I, Joe had to go. I could sense it.
3: I, I, I trust your, I can't even think of the right word, but yes. Uh, direction, show running,
2: production, uh, almost zen-like instinct for what makes for good programming. All those things, Matt. Uh,
3: yeah, sure. Well, yeah, let's just call it that and, and not bother.
2: Okay, so right. let's do comment of the week. Oh, hang on, no, there's usually music, yeah?
3: yeah that's what I was waiting on
2: like, well you talked the over week. it now Wait and
3: pointed out well, we've talk both
2: over talked it. over it now that's but now great we've done that oh, I'm gonna get told off by Mrs. Spanners my one moment of glory on Miss Apex, you're talking all over it I best play it again up the week. that is exactly what she sounds like, and I tell you what Matt, I know this isn't in remain indoors, um, yep. but we are going to be doing remain indoors podcast on. Monday and Tuesday, at least, 2 p.m. UK time. Monday, we've got Dr. Andrew Holding coming okay. and joining us. So we've got some science tomorrow afternoon. And we've got Alice Ryan coming back and chatting to us on Tuesday, oh. talking to us about movie making. And do you know what I'm going to try and do? I'm going to try and steer the conversation round. So without me asking, I'm going to try and get her to suggest that I come and do an audition for a minor part. That is the whole aim of Tuesday speaking to Alice is to get a minor part in a, in a film.
3: Ah, good luck. I've already been there. It's fun. Yeah, I've already
2: been there. I've got Formula E accreditation. Whatever. <laughs> Shut up. All right, well, that's what I'm aiming for. Uh, sorry, I've just had it's a really- all gone wrong. I had a Bring really- back, Joe, quick. Because we were talking about my wife's accent. I had a really childish oh. argument with her because she said, she argued with me, right? This, you might not get this, right? But maybe East Anglia and Essex people will. She was telling me about what it was like to grow up in Essex. And I was like, I grew up in Colchester. Nick, I grew up in Colchester. That's in Essex as well. And she went, Well, yeah, but you know, I mean, Essex, Essex. So she like, Essex shamed me. My level of Essexness was not good enough for her. Anyway. Oh, my goodness. Yeah.
3: And I will say, having met her in person more than once, would not want to be on the wrong side of that.
2: Well, there we go. You, You do a lot of things for the pretty lady. How about comment of the week? How about comment of the week, Matt?
3: Well, we are going to start off with Marcio Gonzalez, who gave us 10 entire euros. To be nice to Seb today. And I feel like we did a very good job of
2: that. Oh, well, I didn't even see that. That isn't the reason why I said that Renault would be the best, you know, it would be the best option for Renault. I genuinely do think that Renault's best option probably is Sebastian Vettel from a commercial and driver's skill point of view. Because at the moment, they've got Ocon, who does lack, you know, Grand Prix experience. And you're gonna, you could say 2020, 2021 is not going to be the years that Renault are pushing for the championship. But, you know, 2022. Who do you you know, is Ocon? He's completely unproven. Vettel, you know if you give him a, a dominant car, he will bring it home. Uh he, he's he's only really fallen down when he's had a slightly better car against a driver who quite rarely d- didn't make any mistakes. 2017, 2018. Lewis Hamilton was nearly flawless. Yes, yes, I'm Hanfosi, but he didn't really make any mistakes. So and Vettel did. So anyway, I, I don't think. I wasn't responding to him paying us to be nice about Vettel, but push comes to shove. I've got nice things to say about Seb.
3: Yeah. And I think Joe did too. And that, that was why I really had wanted to ask him about sort of like Vettel in person, like what he meant in One. It's easy just to look at Multi 21 or Baku and say, ah, we don't really need him. He won his championships. He's over and done with. But uh, people who've interacted with him personally tell very different stories about who and what he is and what he means to the sport. Anyway. Comment of the week. That's what we're talking
2: about. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's where we yeah, wrap yeah. the show up. We start wrapping the show up at five past the hour and then we carry on until 11.
3: Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the time and, and I'm going to have to, in order to match our previous hour. No, episode, no, I'm please don't. There's about 40 minutes worth of. Go and, on. And if I'm being honest, like, I don't know if you noticed that the chat room was a little bit different when Joe was on the show. There was not as much lighthearted frivolity for me to choose from.
2: No, uh, well, you know, there are there is a crossover between our audience and Joe's audience now. But there are people who only tune in for the Joe shows and they're now listening to this end bit. And they're like, oh, now I have to reach out my phone and, and turn it off because these two idiots are blabbing on again. But there is definitely people who only tune in for Inside F1 and, and on the other side as well. There's people who aren't interested in that and only come here to look at you and I's hair and see what it's up to.
3: All right, fine. Sorry, I'm I'm grabbing one more because I, I found although there were some entertaining responses.
2: All right, here we go. Oh my god, we haven't even had one yet.
3: Yeah. Oh, Stuart Neil is suggesting we could talk about tires. I actually did have a Pirelli segment on, believe it or not. Oh,
2: Comment of the week first, then we'll see. Let's see how that goes.
3: What on earth has just happened here? Oh, I'm sorry. I've apparently selected the entire chat and copied and pasted it. So I'm just going to go back to the top. Okay. Um. Eye Hammer is in with Lumiere came by. And that was the moment that Joe discovered he had a light switch and could cut it on for the benefit of his viewers.
2: Yes, that's true. I Now I can't edit that out of the audio version. Me asking, because we did, we spent time setting up the video shots, putting him in place. And two things happened. As soon as we started the show, Joe got himself comfortable and it changed position completely. So you saw me moving his face around the screen. And then, you know, um <laughs> basically, you know, nighttime befell his area of France. And he's two hours ahead of us. And then suddenly he was just in pitch black. And I'm sitting there going, oh, man, do I break the fourth wall by asking Joe, our expert F1 expert, to go turn a lamp on?
3: Yes. And of course you do, because that's part of the charm of Uncle Joe, I think.
2: I think so, too.
3: All right. Um, We move on to Mike Stoner, who is in with Vettel likes Monty Python. So he will love driving for a comical outfit like Renault.
2: Ooh, okay, that's your words. We're newly converted Renault fans, uh, excited to see what they can do. Although, Matt, I have to say, uh, Joe was really positive and bullish about Renault's future. I've been hearing very different things that Enstone is very much up for sale and actively up for sale. So I didn't want to push that too much. But, you know, we're obviously a less reliable source than Uncle Joe.
3: Yeah, well, I I do sometimes wonder... You know, he, he mentioned the Ferrari thing and being to dinner and Vettel is key. Two months later, Vettel can't even begin to come to terms with, like, you know, uh, whether or not he gets a bathroom so we don't have a contract. I just sometimes think that the business world is very nonlinear in that regard, if you know what I mean.
2: Any other comments? Uh,
3: yeah. In fact, uh we have Jerome Jordan who says, I am so in need of a motorsport fix, I am actually watching NASCAR right now, to which we can only say boogity.
2: Okay, so a couple of things on that. Firstly, I've been getting my boy uh, my boy, into iRacing, and intermittent, his interest comes and goes, loves his karting, uh, but when he gets into the iRacing seat, he begs to go into the street stocks and do ovals. He absolutely loves it, and actually, I've enjoyed watching him. And he's like, "Oh, what do you think I should do, Dad?" I'm like, "Oh, turn left." But I can see the appeal, and we've done a few in the um, Missed Apex iRacing uh, fun races, so I can see the appeal. I don't, I don't hate it. I'm not going to be as negative to it as some people are. Uh, there's definitely an art form to it. There's a skill to it. It's definitely more show in regards, you know, the, the show sport ratio is tilted differently to F1 or a karting race. But it's, it's definitely not all bad. I, I'm, I'm not as negative on it as I used to be.
3: Yeah. Well, it, it, it is its own challenge. I, I will admit that perhaps last night, because I feel like I'm terrible at Laguna Seca, I may have done one of the fun indie ovals on iRacing <laughs> at the
2: Monza. Just to make you feel better that you could stay on the track.
3: And I will say that driving the oval at Monza and, uh, in the, in the free car is, well, it is more challenging than you might think. When you no, just look at it on
2: TV. It's definitely a skill. It's definitely a skill. Anyone who dismisses it as, oh, it's just turning left is either, you know, me taking the mic or um, just just misinformed. There, there's a huge risk factor. The margins are, are way finer in the cockpit than it might appear on screen. So, no, no, no. I, I, uh, I, I need to, when racing starts, watch a couple of properly oval races, start to finish, pick some people to cheer for. And I, and I desperately want to do the same for IndyCar as well on, you know, on their road courses as well as the ovals. Yeah, yeah.
3: Well, it's it, it's an interesting thing—the whole iRacing racing journey. As you try and drive different things in different places, you you begin to gain an appreciation for if you're that good at it. I mean, there really is there really is something to it. Um, but anyway, back to conversation of the week, which i have not forgotten. It's comment Despite of the week. Despite your best efforts, you I keep, know you think I'm old and you can
2: just trick me, but that's not true. Okay, I know you're old, and you keep saying conversation of the week. It's comment of the week. Look, that's listen, listen said. to the lady.
3: That's exactly what I said.
2: Right. Stop gaslighting. Me. I guess we'll never know.
3: We will never know. There's no way we could just go back and listen. Um, and finally we have Goose, who is apparently a one of those people who is a continuity expert in movies, because he says, <laughs> "Joe, stay another 40 minutes, and your clock would be right."
2: Oh, is his Oh, his clock is wrong in the background. Okay. Clock in the background. You would I have had to have known that. That took some setup. Yeah. All right. Do we have a winner out of all of those? Assuming that we've exhausted the candidates, which I say more in hope than expectation.
3: Well, I was going to chuck in, Mark Greenhow. we're all C-O-T-W in this fine day, which is a cinnamon I can go along with, but you know, this is missed apex, and much like there is never no one to blame in an incident, there's no such thing as, oh, it was just the first lap, there is always a winner, and this week it has to be Mike Stoner, Vettel likes Monty Python, so he will love driving for a comical outfit like Renault.
2: He wins. Matt says that. I wouldn't have let that win because I've got a newfound respect and a willingness to be a Renault fan. But that was Matt. Matt did that, not me. But well done, Mike Stoner, for winning comment of the week. Say, Matt, uh, we've been doing one show a week during this lockdown. We've done an extra little show on, when did we do that? On Tuesday. We're impromptu uh, Vettel speculation special that was rendered completely out of date. Within two days, I think, or within a day and a half, and I'd say that is why we never usually respond to breaking news. It's just because we happen to be on the mic. But as soon as the Carlos signs rumours were getting really strong, like even as we were recording, the Carlos signs confirmed rumours were getting really strong, and in fact, betting was suspended on Carlos signs to Ferrari, and then wow. and that was happening just as I finished the edit for that episode, and I was sat there going. And this is why we don't do breaking news. Sometimes the news will fall on a Monday just after we've recorded. Sometimes it'll form, fall perfectly on a Saturday ready for us to talk about. Um, but, you know, so I'm torn as to whether that was a good idea or not. Of course, I enjoyed recording it. But I think generally we're not that kind of breaking news, Missed Apex special. Yeah,
3: I think that in the scheme of things, that was a big enough thing that it was worthy of. Doing a doing sort of an impromptu show discussion about for our for our listeners and our viewers, Uh especially because um a, a, because you had Joe on to talk about it and we had a whole week for the ramifications to pile up. By the time we actually got to discuss it, you know, just amongst ourselves, it would have been, you know, it, it's already over yeah. and done with. <laughs>
2: And and I think because we do have a podcast that is so based on the news cycle and a thing happening, it's forgotten. So what? We did a show that was out of date two two days later. Nah, it's fine. We can we can move on. Uh, But we are going to do a show every Sunday. We're we're still sticking with it until the lockdown finishes, and you can catch us uh, most weekdays at two p.m. UK time. That's uh, BST UTC plus one on the Remain Indoors channel. So follow me to find out when we go live there. Uh, of course, the first people we tell about anything is our patrons in our Patreon Slack group group. Thank you so much for everybody that has signed up and continues to set, to stay signed up, even though there's no F1 racing. We really, really appreciate it. Missed, uh, sorry, patreon.com, patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex or on our homepage, MissedApexPodcast.com. You can see the ways to support us there. There's a tip jar if you just want to buy me a matter pint uh, there's, uh, By the way, thank you so much. I, I do try and respond to people who do the tip jar. We've had quite a few come in and it's been really heartening. Uh, but if you join us on Patreon there, uh, you can join our Patreon Slack group. You can get an ad-free RSS feed to add to your podcast player. Uh, you can also get the exclusive content that me and Matt occasionally do, which is far more waffly, far more like the last 20 minutes, in fact, uh, but on purpose. And uh, you also get the satisfaction of knowing that you're supporting an independent podcast uh, when there is so much content out there in podcast land now, especially in F1 land, where it's people paid to sit around a mic. Yes, they do have better contacts. They can speak to drivers. Is the passion always there? Sometimes you can hear when people are phoning it in because they have to be there. So patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex if you appreciate what we do and want to help us keep going. Uh, Matt, I think uh, that's it. Should we should we get out of here? Oh, that'll do us, uh, won't it? That
3: will do. Thanks to Mark Greenhalgh for chucking an extra two pounds. Those are whole pounds, not wow. euros. I sometimes well, get caught up in my currency conversions. Shout out for the Slack team. Always a good time. And thanks for the extra little payment there, Mark.
2: Awesome, guys. We will see you back here next Sunday. But whether you see us here back in the shed talking F1 or on Missed Apex Motorsport watching our iRacing event, from Silverstone 2008 Legacy Track on iRacing, we will be on a 40-car grid there at 8pm UK time on Friday. See if Matt can get a back above me in the championship, or whether I maintain my ninth place over Matt Trumpets as it stands, uh, whether you see us on Remain Indoors at 2pm on weekdays, wherever you see us next. Please, be brave, because wounds heal. Schick's scars and glory last forever. This was Missed Apex.
0: And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
3: This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound
1: fine, but he can hear gears grinding